0: So I want to begin reading in verse number 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. And I want to read down to verse number 11. The Bible says, "...but I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow." Uh, "...from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. You know what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying, if anybody's grieved me, I'm not going to take it out on you. I think that's an important lesson in our lives, isn't it? You know, half the time we mistreat the people that treat us best. The people that are the best to us are the ones we mistreat the worst because we know they'll put up with it. We ought to be careful about how we treat other people. Paul says, if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Paul says, I'm not going to take out the frustrations that I face on another person. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him. "...and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ." lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's read verse, verse number 10 once more. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ, Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that You'd bless Your Word tonight. God, that You'd speak to hearts that which would bring You the most glory. Lord, help me to be just a, a broken and an empty vessel before You, to be used by the Holy Ghost to accomplish the work that You have uh, foreordained this evening to do in our lives. Father, we just love You so much. We don't deserve a single thing You've ever done for us. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that when I could have gotten justice, I got mercy thanks to Calvary. And Lord, I just pray that Your long-suffering and goodness and uh, loving-kindness would continue to be poured out upon this church and upon this pastor, upon these people, Lord, and upon this work. God, I just pray that tonight You would do in hearts what would uh, be most needful. We do not know the heart's need, but Lord, You do. So we trust the Holy Ghost to accomplish it for Your glory. Lord, we love You tonight, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we read 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, I would say that the theme that is presented before us is that of forgiveness. Now, we all like to talk about forgiveness as long as somebody else has forgiven us. Amen. We like to talk about the forgiveness of Calvary, and we like to talk about the forgiveness that others should exhibit towards us. But Paul is not talking tonight about the forgiveness that others should show towards us, but rather the forgiveness that we should show towards others. As we study this passage, it's interesting to me that so much space and so much time is given concerning this single issue. Now, let me describe to you the context that Paul is setting forth. He's writing to the church at Corinth concerning some person, concerning some man that has done something uh, that is out of order for that local church. And this church has been exerting uh, local church discipline. Can I say to you tonight, and you know me well enough, no, I don't mean it by a threat, but just a doctrinal statement that I still believe in church discipline tonight. I believe it's biblical. I believe it's needful. Let me tell you this. The government today has robbed the church of a lot of its authority when it comes to church discipline. Now you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, you set yourself uh, in uh, this uh, time period in Corinth, and here you are, a little widow woman, and you're depending upon your church. You don't get a check from the government. You don't get assistance from KUB. You don't get these things that you need or these things that you want. And you're depending upon this church, and they're providing for you. Now, you get out of the will of God, and you get your let your tongue get forked, or let your uh, bitterness creep in, and that says, no, we cannot condone what you're doing. That could make a real impact in your life, you know it. But nowadays, people are not about government, they're about God-verment. And the government has taken the place of the local church in a lot of ways. The government is seeking to take the place, listen carefully, of the home and of the local church. The government is doing their dead-level best. They've taken the reins of educating children today. Why? They've robbed that from the home. The home used to be the place of, of education. You say, preacher, are you saying that homeschooling is the only way. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just observing this truth that education was always the responsibility of the home. But nowadays, kids are shuffled into a public school environment where they are taught with a uniform ideology that is contrary to the Word of God. There's a reason for that. Uh, There's a design behind that. One of Karl Marx's uh, ten tenets of communism was a public education system. There's a reason for that. And the government is seeking to take the place of the local church. It's seeking to be uh, the hand of charity and the hand of goodwill to a lost and dying world. And we've allowed that to happen. Paul is speaking of church discipline and now this uh, stalwart and granite man of god has softened with compassion and he's speaking concerning forgiveness with this belief I think it's important to note that this believer uh, has an attitude of contrition as is evidenced there in verse uh, number 6 when it says, "...sufficient to such a man is this punishment that was which was inflicted of many, so that, contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up uh, with overmuch sorrow." This was a man that was sorrowful for what he had done. He was repentant. Uh, He was contrite. Uh, He was trying to do the right thing. And I guess it's always been true that Baptists are the worst for shooting their wounded because that's what the church at Corinth was trying to do. And Paul is speaking to them concerning this idea of forgiveness and saying, listen, this man cannot bear much more. There must be a touch of compassion in your dealing with him. And it is within that context that Paul is speaking of this. It's interesting that church members have been hurting each other ever since the beginning of the church. Uh, Church controversy and uh, church uh, contention is not a a new invention of a modern society. Uh, But where you have people, you have problems always. Your problems and other people's problems. It's been said before, and I know you've heard it, that if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. You're going to mess it up. Amen? And uh, certainly these problems existed even at the church of Corinth. Now, how do you deal with an issue like this? Well, there's a lot of uh, church discipline explained and mapped out in the Word of God. But here we have the picture of a, a contrite man seeking to get his life right. And the issue, the only thing standing in the way of this person getting closer to Christ is this issue of unforgiveness. So Paul begins to talk about this, and I want to give you three things that he touches on uh, touches on very quickly this evening. I want you to notice what he says in verse number 9. Now again, he's speaking about forgiveness to this man, but I believe it applies to everybody. Let me ask you something before we read it. Uh, have you ever done anything that you needed to be forgiven for? Anybody ever done anything to you that they've needed to be forgiven for? Probably if you're like me, you've done lots of things to other people you needed to be forgiven for. And I don't think I'm uh, just the unluckiest person in the world, but I've had people do things, lots of people, that I needed to forgive them for. This issue of forgiveness is relevant. You're going to encounter this. You're going to have to make a decision concerning how you treat other people when they have wronged you and people will wrong you. And he begins in verse number 9 by saying, "...for to this end also did I write." So Paul's saying, this is why I wrote to you. I, I, I kind of believe what Paul is saying is, look, I, I'm trying to make you understand this, but it's your choice. Uh, the reason that I've written this is not to force you to forgive this man, not to force you to change your heart, but I wrote for this reason, for to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient." In all things. Could I say that he says a word about the proof that forgiveness exhibits? Uh, let me tell you something. It's easy to hold grudges. One of the easiest things you'll ever do is succumb to bitterness and hold a grudge. It's easy to get in the uh, mire of uh, self-pity and self-centeredness. Make yourself a martyr and a victim and criminalize the entire world around you. By the same token, one of the most difficult things that you will ever do is learn how to forgive other people. Uh, a person's Christian maturity many times can be measured by his willingness and his ability to forgive others for things that they have done. And Paul says when you forgive someone, it proves some things. Uh, it exhibits. It's an acid test of sorts. It shows me some things and it tells me some things. And can I go a step further and say when a person refuses to forgive, that tells us something about them too. Notice two things that he touches on. This word's important. Underscore this in your mind or in your margin. He says, whether ye be obedient in all things. There's two key words in that little phrase. One's obedient and the other is all. Paul's not saying that you're disobedient in everything. Paul's asking if you're obedient in all things. That tells me that there's a lot of things that we'll give over to Christ before we'll give over the bitterness that we have towards another person. You'd be amazed the things we'll give up. And, and I can say I've seen in people's lives before, you ever get on bargaining terms or you think you're on bargaining terms concerning the will of God? I know I've been there before. Uh, you think, well, you know, this is what God is after in my heart and in my life, but maybe if I give Him this area, that'll be enough. Maybe if I give him this area, that'll be enough. And what we do is we build fences in our heart to keep God corralled in certain issues. And we say, Lord, you can have this area of my life, but this area is off limits to you. Paul says, when you're willing to forgive, that tells me that you're obedient in all things. I would go a step farther and say that as it relates to the local church and our church life, that forgiveness is the most difficult thing that you'll ever do. I I didn't expect us to shout and do backflips tonight, but I believe this will help us. It's going to be harder than anything else you're going to face. A person that is willing to forgive, even, listen carefully tonight, a person that's willing to forgive when they were right, when they bore none of the guilt and none of the responsibility, is a person that has proved they're willing to be obedient to the Scriptures. You know, the Word of God commands us to forgive. And, and you know, it, it's easy to just read this and let it roll over top of us without soaking in. But listen to what it says in Ephesians 4.32. It says, And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, let me tell you something tonight. When we live with a heart of unforgiveness, we're living out of the will of God. We may be in the right town, we may be married to the right person, we may be in the right church, we may have the right job, we may have our kids in the right places, but if we live with a heart of unforgiveness, we're living outside of bounds of Scripture and outside of the will of God. God has commanded us to forgive, and forgiveness is a proof that we're willing to be obedient even in the difficult things. But I would go a step further and say that it's not only proof of obedience to the Scriptures, but it's proof of affection towards the Savior. You see, obedience and affection go hand in hand. At the end of the day, and this is something I learned at a fairly young age, I would say this, I learned it at the expense of an older man's many years of experience learning this lesson. And God enabled me to see this fairly early, and I I praise His holy name for this. Let me give you a simple principle that I hope you can take with you. You and I can't make anyone do anything that they don't want to do. That's the sheer fact of it. You can't beat a person into doing it. You can't bribe a person into doing it. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. That's a difficult truth for a pastor to grasp and to take hold of. But I found it to be true. At the end of the day, we all do what we want. And so when we subvert and submit our will to another will, there has to be a motivating factor. What is that motivating factor? Again, we understand that it is within the bounds of the will of God for us to forgive. Uh, but let me say that in the same step, it is absolutely contrary to our will to forgive. How does that dynamic take place? Through obedience to the Word of God. But why do we obey the Word of God? Listen to what Christ said in John fourteen fifteen. He said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. You see, the sooner you realize that this forgiveness business has less to do with you and that person and more to do with you and Christ, the quicker you'll learn how to forgive. It's really got nothing to do with you and that person. It's got to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. God's commanded us to forgive. Why would we obey that? We obey that because of the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. We do that because of Calvary, where the love of God was commended towards us. We do that because of the example that was shown to us uh, by Jesus Christ. And let me go a step further and say, Friend, we do it because He's done so much for us, and we owe it to Him. We owe it to Him to forgive. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, But if you won't forgive, that tells me some things about you tells me, number one, that you're disobedient to the Scriptures. Maybe not in all things, but in some things. And by the way, if you're not obedient in all things, you're disobedient in some things. I know that's real basic and simple, but you see, we like the positive side of that coin. We don't like to admit sometimes that there's some areas of our life uh, where we've entrenched our will against the divine will of God, and we're refusing to obey. Uh, But God says that unless you're willing to forgive it, exhibits to me that you're being disobedient, but also exhibits this. Now, listen carefully, and I know this isn't fun, and I know this isn't sweet, but I believe it'll help us. It tells us that at least in some areas, we love ourselves more than we love Jesus Christ when we won't forgive. Now, you might say, when I preach it, that's some hard words. How could you say that? Are you telling me you never struggle with forgiveness? Hey, friend, I struggle with it like you struggle with it. Uh, But my experience doesn't change what the Word of God says. Uh, If we uh, love Him, we'll keep His commandments. If we don't keep His commandments, it's because there's something lacking in our love of Him. And usually it's not that we hate Him. At least I hope it's not. It's just that we love some other things more than we love Him. See, let me just put it as simply as I can. Your heart has one throne, and only one person's going to sit on it. Only one person will have the government of your life. Who will it be? I would hate to admit it, but there's been times in my life it's not been Christ. And there's been times in my life where I thought I was letting Him rule by proxy, and it don't work that way. You see, I was sitting on the throne and I was trying to get Christ to rubber stamp my decisions. But it doesn't work that way. It works through total surrendering to the Word of God and to the will of God and to the Son of God. We see that there's some things that forgiveness proves, the proof of forgiveness. But I would say that we see a pattern of forgiveness. Look what it says in verse number 10. Uh, Paul says, "...to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also." For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it. Notice this phrase, in the person of Christ. The Bible gives us the Son of God as the divine example for our daily walks in life. The Bible says that He is our example Uh, in the book of 1 Peter, uh, that there has been an example set forth before us that we should walk in His steps, that we should live as He lived. Uh, Let me tell you something. You will never find a greater expression of forgiveness than the bleeding and dying Son of God that hung upon a cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You will never be in a position where you will have to forgive more than that. You will never be in a position where forgiveness will be more difficult than it was for Him and at that moment. He is our example, and I believe we ought to do it for two reasons. I believe the pattern given to us shows us two things. Number one, we ought to do it in payment to the Savior. We owe it to the Son of God to forgive. You say, why? Because He's forgiven them. We like to think about how Christ forgives our sins, but sometimes we don't like to admit that that Christ has died for the sins of others, even sins that were committed not only against God but against us. Do you realize that lie that somebody told on you, Christ has already died for that sin? Do you realize that ugly word that somebody said to you? Christ has already died for that sin. Whatever that person did to upset you and to affront you, I promise you that they've done more against the Son of God, but He's forgiven them and He's forgiven us. We owe a debt, friend, to the Son of God to forgive others. The Bible says that we're debtors both to the Greek and to the barbarian. Our lives are not our own. No man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. And listen to me, uh, whenever you got saved, you died. You lost all your rights, and you lost your opinions, and you lost your ambitions. And I know we don't always live that way, but that's the sheer scriptural truth of it. A dead man doesn't get offended, does he? A dead man doesn't get out of sorts, does he? Now you say, preacher, go ahead and cast a stone. I'm right there with you, friend. Uh, If I'd mortify my flesh like I ought to day in and day out, and God help me to do it more than I do it... I'd find it'd be easier too. We've got to come to a place where we see forgiveness as something that we do not for them, but for Jesus Christ. He's commanded us to. Uh, the question is often posed, well, what if What if they don't feel like they've done anything wrong? Christ didn't wait until you were contrite before He died for your sins. Christ didn't wait until you were sorry before He died for your sins. Christ died for your sins when you was lost and undone, an alien and an enemy of God. The Bible says, but God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the context of Calvary. That's the picture that's painted for us. Not of one that forgives uh, because he sees contrition displayed, but one that forgives because he sees there's a need of forgiveness. That's what the Son of God did for you and me. So that ought to be our attitude towards others. Forgiving, not because of how sorry they are, but because of what the Savior's done for you. Forgiving, listen, not because they've promised they're never going to do it again. We better be careful about this promise and we're never going to do something ever again. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. I, I believe we're not serious about repentance unless we have a mindset of laying a sin aside. But we better be careful using our words and saying we're never going to do something again. Your flesh. I'm flesh. We're prone to it, friend. We, like Israel of old, are bent towards backsliding. And you can have someone promise you the moon, tell you they'll never hurt you again, tell you they'll never lie to you again, tell you they'll never do anything against you again. You may find, friend... Uh, that in five months or six months or a year or even a few minutes they do it again. Your forgiveness cannot be based upon their promises. It must be based on Calvary. It must be based on what He did for us, not what they're going to do for us. You don't forgive someone because they deserve it, because Christ didn't forgive you because you deserved it. We should have got justice, friend. Uh, Everybody complains all the time about how unfair God is. Hey, thank the Lord God's unfair. If He is fair, I'd be in hell tonight. My only hope is the unfairness of God. If He was fair, He would have never forgiven. But because He showed mercy, there was a Calvary, and until we get to the place that we'll be merciful with others, we're never going to be right with God. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You say, preacher, what does that mean? It means this, you better go easy on some people, because one of these days you might need them to go easy on you. Uh, You'll find something to be true. And I've seen this in ministries. I've seen it in members. I've seen it in lives. Uh, You better be careful about how uh, straight and how hard of a line you make somebody toe. Because one day you may be trying to toe that very line. I'm not saying we don't need to have standards and be uh, strict concerning the Word of God. I'm not saying that we don't need to be faithful to the truth of the Word of God. Of course we do. But understand that you hold people to a standard. You better be willing to walk that standard too, because one of these days you may be facing that scrutiny. Paul says to us that we're to do this in payment to the Savior. Now, this is what I want you to understand tonight, and I want you to get this very clearly. Look at the end of verse 10. Paul says, For your sakes forgave I it, in the person of Christ. This is absolutely key to you understanding how to forgive. It's not just something we do in payment to the Savior. It's something we do in the person of the Savior. One of the great misnomers concerning Christianity is that it's uh, accomplished through willpower. Uh, A lot of people believe, well, if I just make up my mind to do it, I'll do it. Uh, If you're doing something through your will, then you're doing something through your flesh. You'll never accomplish it, and even if you did accomplish anything, it wouldn't bring any glory to God, and God wouldn't be impressed with it. The story of the crucified life is not one of willpower, but rather one of surrender and submission. It's a matter of crucifying the flesh and surrendering our And By the way, uh, we kind of think of surrender as something being a relief and a release. Isn't that what we think of sometimes? We think of waving the white flag like, oh, we take a big final breath, and it's easy and it's simple. Let me ask you something. After that prisoner that's been on the run, after he surrenders and after his hands are placed in cuffs and he's taken into custody, is it about to get a lot easier or is it about to get a lot tougher on him? It's about to get a lot tougher. The day you surrender to Jesus Christ is the day that you wage war on your flesh. The day that you surrender to Jesus Christ is the day that you make up your mind that every day thereafter you're going to do your best to wake up and surrender again. Every single day with Jesus Christ is a day in which our flesh is put in cuffs and our spirit is set free to walk in the liberty of Jesus Christ. Not liberty to sin, but liberty to be sanctified and liberty to walk with the Savior. That's what the surrendered life is. This is not a life of willpower, but one of surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. And that's how it's accomplished through the person of the Savior and through the work of the Holy Ghost. Hey, when somebody does you wrong, instead of trying to give the knee-jerk reaction and fly right back at them, why don't you stop a minute and ask God what He wants you to do? That's what it means to surrender. Paul is not simply saying, well, I did this for Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I did this through Jesus Christ. I forgave them not because it was easy, but because that's what the Holy Ghost commanded me to do. I surrendered my will to the will of God, and through that I found forgiveness for others. Let me tell you something, friend. There's a lot of us that are living in chains of unforgiveness. It's wrecking us. It's making us miserable. It is absolutely consuming us. We're allowing it to rob the joy of our salvation from us because we're always living looking for someone else to fall. And until we come to the place that we're willing to say, you know, Lord, it's not about me, it's about You. It's not about a silly feud. It's not about bickering. It's not about backbiting. And it sure ain't about this bitterness. God, my life is not to be uh, wasted away frivolously to try to prove a point, but it's to be lived with purpose for the glory of God. That's the day we find liberty. That's the day we learn how to forgive. Paul says it's done not only in payment to the Savior, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me give you one last thought and I'm done. We see not only the proof of forgiveness and the pattern of forgiveness, but we see the prudence of forgiveness. Let me say it's wise to forgive. The devil lies to us and he tells us if you forgive them, they're going to hurt you again. And he lies to us and says if you forgive them, you're going to regret it. If you give an inch, then you're going to soften and they're going to get to you again. And let me say, by the way, it might be that they do hurt us again, but that doesn't mean that, that forgiveness is unwise. Look what he says in verse number eleven. He says lest. That's an important word. It means there's an option here. It means there's a choice. It means things could go one way or they could go another way. Lest. And so he's been describing this forgiveness. And he says, if you don't do this forgiveness, this will be the consequence, lest Satan should get an advantage of, underscore these, this little word, two letters, us. Tells me that your unforgiveness doesn't just affect you, but it affects those around you. I believe when Paul says us, and you might believe differently about this, but I, I believe common sense would dictate that Paul's talking about himself, And those with him, and he's talking about the person he is communicating with and the persons with them. I mean, when I say us, that's usually what I mean. Us usually means us and you, me and you. And Paul is saying this, your unforgiveness can put a hamper and can quench the work that God is doing in your church. Let me tell you something. We don't even we're not even aware of the spiritual warfare that wages around us. We're really not. I mean, we're not even aware of of what God is doing. And it could be, friend. I mean, God's been good to us in 2013. He's already been good to us in 2014. We've seen souls saved. We've seen God do mighty things. But friend, it could be that there's an aching in the camp with a wedge of bitterness buried under his tent. God's wanting to do great things, but he's hindered from doing it. Why? There's a little bit of unforgiveness. And Satan's got an advantage over us. Your bitterness or your unforgiveness, it affects others around you. And let me say that first we see that unforgiveness is a danger. It's a danger. It can give Satan the edge that he needs to defeat us. Do you realize that Satan has no power except that which is surrendered to him? We have the victory through Calvary. We have the victory through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, What is it that the devil has power of? He has the power of death. Uh, But death has been conquered through an empty tomb and through a resurrection day. There's no reason Satan should have an advantage over us. But through unforgiveness, we give him that advantage. We allow him a foothold in our life. And understand, I mean, don't get me wrong, I believe in the providence of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I know a lot of people are scared of that word, but I believe God is a sovereign God. But that doesn't mean that we can't mess up our lives. God's given us a free will. And uh, there's some that would like to believe, and I understand that all things work together for good. I'm not trying uh, to speak both ways about it, but I also understand that there's consequences to the way that we live. And it could be, friend, that Satan's got a foothold in your home through your unforgiveness. It could be Satan's got a foothold in your marriage through your unforgiveness. could be Satan's got a foothold in your workplace through your unforgiveness. Or it could be, and only God can know and only heaven will tell, that Satan has gotten a foothold in a local church because of unforgiveness. Satan can get an advantage over us. Unforgiveness is a danger. But I want you to notice, and I'm done with this, we see that unforgiveness is a device. Look what it says. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know what a device is. We've got them all over the place. I don't have my phone with me. That's a device. This microphone. It's a device. Uh, You know what a device is? It's a tool. It's something used for a purpose. And by the way, there's a few things that we understand about devices. One is that they are intelligently constructed. Uh, I know that some would have us to believe that we live in a universe of chaos, uh, but when I look at that phone that I hold in my hand, and it can do more than uh, 20 years ago than a computer the size of this room could have done, that tells me that there's a smart mind behind it. That device works because it has been designed and concocted. And do you know that sometimes the very issue that we don't want to forgive over is the very thing that Satan has tailor-made for our lives? He's more subtle than any beast of the field. He's wise. Uh, Well, I'd say this, he's cunning. (laughs) I don't know that I'd say he's wise, but I'd say he is cunning. He knows what will press your buttons. He knows what works. He knows what will get under your skin. He knows what will stick with you. We understand not only is a device something that is intelligently made, but we know that it is something that is intentionally made. There's a reason for it. He uses it in our lives. You know, the sooner we understand that sin does nothing but make us a slave to the devil, the sooner this thing will turn around in our hearts and lives. The sooner we quit trying to justify our bitterness and start crucifying it, the sooner we'll see the power of God in our lives. We've got to get to a place where we realize it's not about winning and losing. It's about surrendering ourselves to the one that has already won. It's about giving our life to Christ and loving Him and serving Him and living to His glory and to His honor. It's about living in such a way that would make Him pleased with us. It's not about winning a silly feud. You might say, well, preacher, my feud is not silly. It may be the biggest battle you've ever faced. But who's going to win it? Are you going to win it or are you going to let Christ win it? That's the only thing. That's the only person. He's the only one. We've got to get to a place of forgiveness in our lives. I don't know why God gives messages like this. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, you want my honest opinion as a pastor. Uh, I don't see a thing wrong. I don't know of any bitterness. I don't know of any feuding or fighting in this uh, church or amongst any of these people. I have no clue. But the Holy Ghost of God gives messages for a reason. I'm convinced, friend. I'm just as sure as uh, that I'm sure that I'm saved. I'm just as sure that there's somebody in here that needs this tonight. It may be you, it may be me. But we need to be willing to do business, because i tell you this, it can, get you, it can get out of hand quicker than you realize. Before you know it, you can wind up making a wreck of things. And all the repentance in the world, just like Esau, sought it with much sorrowing, but there was no place of repentance found for him. You say, what does that mean, preacher? It means some mistakes that we make, they can be forgiven, but they can't be erased. There's consequences to our life. I don't know what god's done i'm gonna be honest with you i'm not I'm not going to try to i I just want the Holy Ghost to do tonight what he needs to do